when I was a kid, my brother and I played outside most of the time. I think that's because my mom didn't want us tearing the house up inside, so she kicked us out. And uh, we had, everywhere we lived, we had kids up and down the street. And so it was kind of neighborhood gathering time whenever uh, we were out of school. But we had a tradition in our family. I didn't realize it was a tradition so much until I got older. But we tried to eat together in the evenings as much as we could, and a family meal kind of a thing. And so my dad would step out on the front porch, and he would whistle. Now, he had this shrill whistle that cut through the neighborhood, and there were some standing rules that I learned the hard way. One of them was, when dad whistles, you come running. You might have two minutes to get to the house once that whistle. So it didn't matter what you're doing. If you were batting in a neighborhood baseball game, you dropped the bat and you ran to get home. Now, another thing that I learned the hard way was if dad whistles and you don't hear it because you're too far away from the house, that's no excuse. The whistle was sounded and that's a summons and so you better get there. But it's days, but uh, I think more and more the family meal seems to gather in the car in a drive through lane somewhere where we do supper as we go from one point to another. Let me shift that picture just a little bit for you and put it into our church life. Because as Baptists, we believe that if we gather together, there must be food somewhere. <laughs> and so one of the great points of memory I have of every church where I have served is those times that we gather together as a family, church family that is, and we eat together. Great fellowship, usually great food, although not always. Um, and so those are great times for us. But the meal that we come to celebrate together today is no ordinary meal at all. As a matter of fact, as we come to this time, we take our place among the larger, participate in something that Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. As Baptists, we believe this is one of two ordinances, two commands that Jesus gave us that we do together and we do on a fairly regular basis. He didn't tell us how often we have to do it. He just said, make sure that you do it. And when you do it, this is no ordinary meal. Matthew chapter 26 helps us out with this because in Matthew 26, we find Matthew's account of the institution of the Lord's Supper. And so I'll read that, and you're welcome to follow along with me as I do, beginning Matthew 26, verse 26. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples, and he said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. We might ask, and whether you ask or not, we should pause Anytime we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, and we should ask ourselves every time, even if we've been doing this for 50 or 60 years, we should ask ourselves this question, 
why do we do this? And Jesus gives us insight. He gives his disciples insight as they gather for that Passover meal. But Jesus gives it new significance. He changes some things. They have the Passover meal, but Jesus comes and he narrows down, he zooms in on these two elements that in the coming hours from that first Lord's Supper, those elements will prove to be incredibly significant, not just for those 12 disciples gathered there, but all the way through the ages to every other person who calls on the name of Jesus Christ. We come to remember. What do we remember? Jeremy mentioned this in his prayer just a few moments ago. But when Jesus says to those disciples as he broke the bread and he gave it to them, he said, take, eat, this is my body, it was a symbolic statement for them that said in no uncertain terms for all of us that Jesus' sacrifice was more than just a tragic death. It was more than the suffering of an innocent man. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was done to cover the penalty of sin. Now, we don't like to talk about sin in our day too much. We like to talk about other people's sin, but we don't want people talking about our sin too much. But the reality is, according to the Scripture, that every one of us is born with a sin nature that alienates us from a holy God. And Jesus Christ is the fix for that sin problem. And so when he gathered those disciples just hours before he was crucified, and he broke that bread and he gave it to them, and he said, take it, eat it, this is my body, that was a statement that would ring through eternity the sacrifice that Jesus made for our sins. So when we come to do this today, as we will in just a few moments, it is a reminder to us of the high price of sin and also the fact that God loved us enough that he saw to it that that sin was covered through Jesus' sacrifice. But he also talks there about his blood. You'll notice that in that little passage, he simply says, he broke the bread and he gave it to them, said, take it and eat it, this is my body. But when he came to talk about the blood, there's several different elements listed there. And we could talk about that if we had a lot of time today, but let me just kind of summarize all of those statements to say this. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, no forgiveness for sin. And Jesus' sacrifice again, was more than just a tragic death. It was more than an unfair sentence on an innocent man. Jesus' sacrifice and the blood that was flowing from him covers our sin. The deal about that is, and this is part of what we remember, that when we come to encounter the living Christ, not the dead Christ who was crucified, we have to acknowledge that. We have to come to grips with why he was sacrificed that way. But the best part of the crucifixion story for us is the resurrection because it's there that we find Jesus as the one who has the authority over sin and over death. He qualifies as the perfect sacrifice. And that resurrection gives us the opportunity to have that forgiveness of sin that only Jesus can give. 
But the reality is each one of us individually has to accept that, has to embrace that truth. So as we go into this time to remember what Jesus did, the question that I have for you is, have you experienced what Jesus did? Do you know the saving power of Jesus Christ and the forgiving power that his life and his death and his resurrection purchased for you? If you don't know that, by the end of this service, we'll have the opportunity for you to respond to that and give your life to Jesus Christ and place your trust in him. But for now, the question is, do you know it? Do you have that forgiveness? And many of us would sit in a room like this, in a time like this, as we have done hundreds of times probably, and we would give mental acknowledgement to those truths. But we have a responsibility also. Because the question becomes, once you embrace that truth and you accept that truth of who Jesus is and what he does and you place your faith in him, that's not the end of the story for us. We are called then to live as his followers, to live as if on an everyday basis, to live as if his sacrifice continues to matter in our lives. So nobody gets off the hook on a day like this. As we come to remember, it drives us to the cross and demands a decision from us. You may be sitting here thinking, yeah, there's just a guy who got sacrificed. But let me take you back over to Colossians chapter 1, and we've looked at this once. I'm just going to read it and make one comment, and we'll move on. In case you happen to be one of those, and our world is full of people like this, who believe that Jesus was a great man or maybe a good teacher or maybe even a prophet. But that's about it. Let's see what Paul says about this Jesus and why his sacrifice was such a big deal. In Colossians 1, verses 19 and 20, we, re- we read these words, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In other words, what Paul says to us, first of all, is that this Jesus is the full embodiment of God in the flesh. That is a huge statement. We could spend the rest of our lives mining the truth in that one statement. Paul mentions it as a matter, as a matter of fact, and he moves right on and talks about what he did. Verse 20, once again, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's why Jesus gives the emphasis to the blood over in Matthew 26. It is his sacrifice, his blood, that purchases our relationship with God. So as we come to this time, I want to invite you to spend a little time rehearsing those facts. Let me just ask you to bow your heads, if you will. I want you to spend a little time thinking through and praying through your position relative to that truth. Are you a child of Jesus Christ because you have accepted the forgiveness that he offers and embraced the sacrifice that he made? Do you know him? 
If you don't, then now's a great time. As best you know how, just you and God right there in this moment for you to come to him and say, I, I may not understand all of that, but I know that I need a Savior. If you already made that choice long since, the question then is, am I living in the shadow of that truth? Does every day of my life express my relationship with Jesus Christ? I'm going to pause, and we won't have any noise for just a minute or so so that you can do that reflection. ask our deacons to come forward at this time as we enter into a time of celebrating and remembering the Lord's Supper as Jesus laid it out for his disciples and for us. You know, through the years and throughout different elements of the Christian church through the years. This little wafer that we eat has taken many different forms. These happen to be gluten-free, for those of you who wonder. Isn't it interesting how no matter the way we choose to remember, that that basic element of what Jesus said to us about his body and the symbolism of this supper, that remains constant. And we can change all kinds of little pieces, all kinds of slices of Christian history has shown us different approaches to doing the Lord's Supper. But at the end of the day, when we come to do this, we do it in remembrance of that incredible sacrifice that Jesus, God in the flesh, chose to do because of his love for us. And once again, Matthew records, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples, and he said, take, eat, this is my body. And so, dear Lord Jesus Christ, we are grateful. And we ask that you forgive us for those times that we live as if we're not grateful. We are grateful for your love, we're grateful for your sacrifice, and we're grateful for the life that it gives us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. As I said earlier, in Matthew's account, Jesus has a lot more to say about the blood than he does about the body. That's significant for a number of reasons, but let me just rehearse what he said. Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant. That's the first statement. 
And with this enactment of the first Lord's Supper, Jesus points his disciples and all of us backward to the earliest part of the history of God with the children of Israel and that striking of the covenant that said, I will be your God. I'm not just a God. Actually, I'm not just the God. That's a true statement. He is the God. There are none others. But he also said, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And Jesus drives us all the way back to that moment when there was a sacrifice there as well. And he says, you're mine. That's a significant statement for us, and if there was a period right there, that would be enough for us today on this celebration. But there's more to it. I tell you, excuse me, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. We talked about that a lot this morning because that's the driving truth where we personalize the Jesus sacrifice. Have you experienced that forgiveness? The rest of the world may never forgive you for stuff you do. Jesus forgives you for the sinner that you are and for the stuff that you do. And then there's this third element. And before I read it, I just want to take you back. You know, we have, as a church, over the last year, two years, we have said goodbye to some of the backbone members of our church who have gone on to glory. This, their life in this world is over, but they continue to live with Jesus in heaven. And there is this foreshadowing that Jesus gives to those first disciples in that upper room, and it stretches down to us today. A foreshadowing that says there is going to be another meal, <laughs> a heavenly feast to be exact. It is no ordinary meal whatsoever. And Jesus says this, and we remember those who have gone before us. And he says this, I tell you that I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's house. This is a big deal, as it turns out. No ordinary meal at all. And so, dear Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you. We, we don't even know how to say thank you strongly enough. We thank you for the blood that was shed for my sin and for each of us in the room who say that. We remember and we look forward. And we anticipate that heavenly feast with those of our loved ones who have gone before and our friends and the great heroes of the faith of yesteryear. Thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.